0: morning If you have your Bibles would you please open uh, your Bible to the book of Genesis? <clears throat> Our Old Testament reading is from Genesis chapter 50. We'll be reading verses 15 through 21. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. It was interesting to me as I was reading through the Old Testament as well, is that God can use us to be a blessing to other people. And how something that seemed so terrible and intended for harm, God intended for good, that Joseph had a different perspective in all of that. Let's turn to the book of Acts. be reading verses 1 through 16. And as I was reading through this this last week, I try to read through this every day, um, the section that I'm going to preach on. All I kept thinking about is the, the Paul in Acts chapter 8 and 9, where he was a man that was full of rage and rebellion and how God has changed his heart and he's a man of peace and contentment. And it made me think of that quote from St. Francis. You know I like quotes. But make me an instrument of your peace. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And as I read through this, I want you to think about this how on the ship, Paul was the one that had peace, and he was able to encourage them. And when he was there <clears throat> and they all arrived safely, there was the peace of the assurance that God had told him that everyone would arrive safely. He, he gets bit by a snake and throws it into the fire. I mean, I don't see him complaining or being very emotional. It doesn't say that in the scripture. But I see him when he's tending to um, Publius, his father. There was a peace and contentment there. I also see that when he, you know, is uh, on the trip, on the rest of the way going to Rome, he meets the brothers and there's like a revival, a week-long revival that's there. It just seems that that Paul was an instrument of God's peace wherever he went. And that's my prayer as you know, we read this section and, and talk about this sermon today. May we be instruments of God's peace in this world. It says, Once safely on shore, we, are, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed an unusual kindness, and they built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put, put it on the fire, a viper, driven by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. People expected it to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting for a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and they they said that he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies, the supplies that we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in the ship that had wintered on the, in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with a figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put out in, in, at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached uh, Puteoli. There, we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers there heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the form of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and encouraged them. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you would just quiet our hearts. We thank you for the word of God. Lord, may you speak to us today. Lord, may we just want to know you better. We Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to talk about peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. So I was talking a little bit earlier today with Chris. We were talking about what's happening in Ukraine. And, you know, a thought came to my mind that I would heard before, but a scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. And how do we know peace? How do we know peace? We... If you know God, remember you know peace. But if you don't know God, you don't know peace. And I pray that God would help make me and make all of us an instrument of God's peace in this world. When I look at Paul in Acts 8 and also in Acts 9, I see Paul as one that um, he's a different person in Acts 28, he's not the same. Because God's changed him. God's been working on his heart. You know, as we take this journey through the book of Acts, and we've seen Paul on now his fourth missionary journey, going to Rome. We see how the peace of God has just changed him. There's a poem that I wanted to read, just the first part of this poem, of St. Francis of Assisi. It says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred... Let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. You know, I was thinking about this as well regarding peace. We don't really know peace. in our soul without facing adversity once we see there's a challenge or a trial then we really know that the peace that we have because when things are going really well well it's okay with me you just sort of go with the flow but when when things are not going well what's your peace like and my question to you today is this how is your soul how is your soul today how are you doing Because as I said last week, we're either we're getting ready to go into some kind of crisis. We're in a crisis or we're coming out of a crisis. And that's a fact. And so my question again is I think about Jesus who said this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So what's the answer of finding peace? How do you find? In me, that's what he says. You find peace in Christ. Because in the midst of the storm, whatever it would be, it's in Christ that we find our peace. And so I think of this principle. If you give yourself completely to a task, physically, let's say even rowing a boat. We talked about being up at... Crawfish Lake last week. But when you're rowing a boat and you strain and you work so physically to make it from one end of the lake to the other, you get tired. But if you pour all of your energy in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit in spiritual matters, you gain more strength. Because when we're weak, we're strong. Why? Because it's not us. It's Christ in us. And we get stronger and our faith grows deeper and our roots go deeper. And branch branches spring out long, longer. And also remember, what does it say in John 15, 5? It says that I am the vine and you are the branches, right? But it says that without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. So God used Paul as an instrument of peace, as we're going to talk about. And he calls us to be a living sacrifice in Romans 12, 1. I really like how that verse goes, and I think that's so important. Paul wrote it. This is about Paul. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, not like a dead animal, but a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. It's not a ritual activity, but a devoted act of obedient service that involves your heart, your mind and your will. You're totally committed. And when you're totally committed to Christ, your faith is based on the faithful one. So let's take a look at Paul's ministry and how he could be an instrument of peace in the the first part of of Acts 28, throughout his life, but just focusing on here. It says, once safely on shore. I think that's important. Why do I think that's important? Because we know in Acts 27, 24, it says this. It says, Do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand trial in Caesar, for God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Well, okay. But notice, in the last verse of chapter 27, it says, The rest were to get there on planks and pieces of ship in the way that everyone reached the land in safety. And then Luke repeats it in the first verse of the next chapter. He says, once safely on shore, we found everyone got there safe. That was a miracle. That was a miracle. And God showed through Paul, who's told and encouraged the people on that ship. when things. He says, we're going to be safe. It's going to be OK. Why? He was an instrument of God's peace on that rocking ship that they were going to make it to safety. There's a lot of things going on in this world. And we could be an instrument of peace to those people in the world whose ships are rocking. And we could say, it'll be okay. You're going to make it. Your faith is in Jesus Christ. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, because if you know God, you know peace. If you know God, you know peace. The next thing is it talks about Malta there. What do we know about Malta? Malta, well, we know that it was uh, actually um, a Roman naval station It was uh, taken over by the Romans from Carthage in 218 B.C. We know that ancient ships would winter there. It was just a small island, but it had a big harbor there. And it was about 56 miles from Sicily, where they're going to go next. It was about 174 miles from Italy. But think, they had gone over 600 miles from Fair Havens just being blown around. Isn't it... Isn't it unique and providential that God had them move that ship to a place where there was actually an Alexandrian grain ship that was going to be going to Italy there too? I think that's unique because people didn't sail on the seas. Romans knew this. Anytime after the middle of November to sail on the seas was suicidal. And so that's when they, they harbored and they rested there, and they felt like any time towards the end of February or the beginning of March, it was, it was better to travel. So we know at this time, based on when they left, that it's probably about, I'd say, the end of October or the first part of November when they're in Malta, and they waited there, it says three months, till it was safe to be on the ship again to go. Now, it says in verse 2, it says the islanders. In some versions, it might say barbarians. Um, literally, the word is barbaros in Greek. And literally, it, it, they were civilized people. The Greeks called anybody that didn't spree- speak Greek barbarians. Or in this case, it's translated in my Bible, islanders. But, but they were civilized people. Um, they just didn't speak Greek there, so they called them Barbarian. So you might look at that and it's like, oh man, what kind of? Because we have an idea in our mind what a barbarian would be like. Their ancestry. They used the Phoenician dialogue, but they were fully Romanized. That island was a Roman island because remember, the granary for the Roman Empire was in Egypt. I mean, that was the basket. That was the bread basket of the Roman Empire. They grew wheat there, and that's why you had those big ships making their way to Italy, and they stopped on the island of Malta, and other places as well, on their way to Italy. Now it says, I think, um, in verse, it says, extraordinary hospitality was shown. I think that's an important thing to remember. Notice in verse 2, it says, The islanders showed unusual kindness. In verse 7, it says, And there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island, who welcomed us into his home for three days. I don't know if he welcomed all, you know, 276 of them, but that had been um, quite a welcoming party, entertained us hospitably. And also in verse 10, it says, And they honored us in many ways when they were ready to sail. They furnished us with supplies that we needed. Hospitality's a big deal. It was back in the ancient times we've been talking about that in the book of Genesis, where we see that with Abraham and Lot as well. And um, I think that should be important in our lives as well. And you could see these quote-unquote barbarians, who really weren't barbarians, they just didn't speak Greek, and that's what they called them were barbarians, but they showed unusual kindness. Can you imagine what it would have been like to land on an island, let's say, that were cannibalistic or people that were very, very pagan in their ways and did very really horrible things. But it just so happened that uh, I wonder if there was a church. That, I just thought of it. I wonder if there was a church that was set up. I mean, Paul had three months, you know, and there were miracles that happened. I don't know. It would be interesting to see when we get to heaven and say, like, hey, were you on Malta during that time? I don't know. Now, it says it was cold and it was raining there. Well, of course, it's the winter season. I mean, it's like I said, it's the end of October, the first part of November that's there. But one of the other things I thought that was interesting is this. Here's the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's written, he hasn't written at all at this time yet, but he's, he's and when we look at the Bible, like half of the New Testament was written by Paul, Right? But he's doing, like, menial tasks. I mean, he's gathering the wood. He's right there with everybody else. This great apostle is gathering wood. I thought that was pretty inspiring for me when I saw this. It it talks to me about the importance of servant leadership. And he was just getting ready. He's ready to roll up his sleeves and get his hands dirty, even though he was an apostle, apostle of the Gentiles. And uh, anyways, I thought that was uh, something to really think about. It says... uh, that a viper bit him. Um, notice that the, the viper must have been known by the, the locals because they surely expected him to swell up and to die, but he didn't. And um, so, of course, the afterwards they, they thought that he was a god. Um, notice here that this, in some versions of your Bible, and it's supposed to be, where it says, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice... That actually should be a capital J because it actually refers to. I looked it up. The word in Greek is "decay." It's D-I-K-E, and it's actually a goddess, and it's the goddess of justice. And it was one of the daughters of um, of Zeus. So you know, I mean, they still, even though they were welcoming, and they didn't speak Greek, they still had you know different gods that they worship. But anyways. Uh, that capital J is, is, was the daughter of Zeus uh, uh, for Zeus, uh, <clears throat> um, named Justice, and uh, she was also the goddess of, and of justice, the spirit of moral and order and fair judgment. If you look in, they, a lot of the times the Romans and Greeks, they'd look at the constellations. If you see like the you know, the constellation Libra where the scales, that sort of that thing. And actually, in our own culture, we do that. We talk about Lady Justice, somebody with a blindfold and scales, right? So that sort of, like, is crept in, but it comes from this, uh, <clears throat> this goddess of justice. So in verse uh, 5, notice that Paul, you know, we were talking about being an instrument of peace. He's in there, and he's helping, and whatever else he gets. But, like, I don't see any panic. I don't see worry and complaint. It says he suffered no ill effects. And um, I could see, do you remember in, I think it was Acts 14, when he was in Lystra and then they wanted to make him a god and then they take him out and they afterwards then they stone him and then he gets up and he walks right back in the city. So um, they were, I would say, somewhat... Fickle people in a way. I mean, they changed their minds. First, they were saying like, man, you know, he must be a murderer. Now, now he's a god, you know. I think there's something important to, that we can learn in that too. You know, when it talks about people that are in leadership, that, you know, they, um, they're not swayed one way or the other. I mean, they sort of like, they're steady. Um, you know, they listen. They well, They bring it to God in prayer. It's not like, One moment, it's like, you must be a murderer. And I was like, no, you must be a god type of thing. But um, I think there's an important in growing in spiritual maturity in that and bringing things before the Lord and waiting before the Lord and being patient like that. But obviously, with these people, they switch their mind pretty quickly. Verses 7 and 8, it talks about Paul, and I see him being an instrument of peace here. It says, thereby, in the estate nearby, there was, belonged to Publius, the chief officer. Basically, he was the governor of the island that was there. And he welcomed us his home for three days. He entertained with uh, hospitably. It says, the father was sick in bed and uh, suffering from fever and dysentery. And then Paul went to see him and prayed for him, placed his hands on him, healed him. And and this happened, uh, and when this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Um, three days, I was thinking about that's... The, I don't know how many people actually came and were entertained there, but uh, that's, uh, that's showing good hospitality there. And gov- I think even going above and beyond, because, I mean, really, a lot of those people, like Paul, I mean, they were prisoners on this, the ship, and they were showing hospitality. Um, one other thing that I thought that was important here is, you know, I wonder. You know, Paul talked about Christ and the gospel there as well, because it says that, you know, think about these miracles—not only the 276 that were saved, not only the viper bite, but also, you know, Publius's father being immediately cured. Um, I'm sure that, um, you know, Paul talked a lot about Jesus, and um, I do wonder if uh, if there was a church that. Um, actually ended up there. Notice when it says they came, just so you know, like that verse is in the imperfect tense, and it literally means they came and they kept coming. So basically it was like, uh, you know, a steady stream of patience for three months. And I'm sure I was thinking about it in Acts 3 when Peter and John had healed the cripple. And it says, and Luke wrote, "'By faith in the name of Jesus, "'this man you see and you know is strong. "'It is in Jesus' name that the faith has come through him.'" And he has completely healed him, as you can all see. So there was like a lot of healing going on over the three-month period of time. They kept coming. And they probably kept hearing Paul and Paul talking about Christ. It doesn't talk a lot about that there, but I, I surmise that that's probably what did happen. Notice in verse 10, it says, they honored us. Here, they're continuing to show that hospitality. The, the Greek word there means to honor, to prize, to ascribe worth to someone, to treat as precious. Wow, these people that didn't even know, these shipwrecked people that came on the island, and here they're treating them as precious. Makes me think about, you know, the people that we come in contact with and how easy it is to give up on people sometimes. And sometimes people that, you know, may do wrong to us. And I know sometimes even in my life, you know, struggle to... You pray for those who persecute you? okay. Oh, sometimes, like, you know, you you want to, you know, turn the other cheek? It's like, okay. And sometimes, but in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit, you know, and living for God, that, um, you know, you can do that. It says here that they, they furnished us with supplies that we needed. It doesn't say specifically what they furnished them with, but it made me think of this. When you're on the ship and the ship's destroyed, basically, what do you have? You have nothing. You have nothing. But these people, they, they, even though you might look at that and you say, well, it says barbarians, you know, there in my... I mean, they were welcoming and hospitable te- people. I don't know if it was, you know, supplied with extra food, with clothing, with money. I mean, they lost everything, right, on the ship. But here it says, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. Then we see the last leg of the voyage to Rome. This goes quick. You know, it's just like the itinerary. I appreciate how, um, how Luca is writing this out. You know, he gives us very detailed information about what's going on. First, it says the Alexandrian ships. Like I said, it's probably another grain ship. Remember, so Egypt was the granary of the Roman Empire. And it says that um, they sailed, uh, they went to, the, first they landed uh, in Syracuse. Syracuse was probably about 85 miles from Malta. And it was on the island of Sicily, right on the eastern side there. And I thought it was probably interesting just to talk about Castor and Pollux for for a second. So have you ever heard of those names? I guess if you're into astronomy, you probably do. So they're actually stars that are in the constellation of Gemini, the twins. So... When you see that, it says Castor and Pollux were on the front of the ship, right, the the bow of the ship. They were the twin gods, and they were mounted there on the bow. Um, They were the guardians of the sea, the guardian gods of the sea. And they are named with um, Castor and Pollux were actually the, the two brightest stars in the constellation in Gemini. And so when they were sailing along if they saw those stars up there, they would see that the f- gods were favorable towards them and it would be a safe trip. That was sort of the idea. So um, they were their protectors, I guess you could say. When they, when they failed to Regium from Syracuse, that's, they're, they're in Italy now. They're on the, the tip of Italy. And then it says they went to Putrioli, And Putrioli is... About 200 miles from Syracuse is about 152 miles from Rome. It says that they made it in a day, so there were favorable winds. They made it all the way up to Putrioli, which is basically the Bay of Naples. It was a very safe harbor. It was the Romans' chief seaport that was there. And it was the center of commercial activity. There was probably about 100,000 people that were there. And then we get to a really interesting part. I like this part right here. It says... And they found some brothers and invited us to spend a week with them. I mean, God knows exactly what we need. Here is Paul. I mean, he could have been, I mean, he was the one that was like the giver. I mean, he was given encouragement on the ship. Maybe there was probably a lot of stress there, and he was the one that was there helping. He gets there in Maltese, there for three months. I mean, it says that the people were continually coming, asking to be healed, and there's a lot of ministry going on, and, and Paul is, the, is, the, is being a, an instrument of God's peace that's there. And here he comes to Italy, and now he's had a chance to be refreshed. So the brothers come down and I don't know how the brothers found out about it. My thinking is, if I had to surmise, I know Aristarchus was on the boat. I could see Aristarchus or somebody going to Rome and telling people, say, "Hey, guess what? Paul's here." You know, I'm not sure. Maybe they get to um Putrioli and some people there go up to Rome and tell them. And, and remember, you've probably heard of the Apian Way before. That's that's the road that goes down south from Rome and and One of the important things to know, you've probably heard the expression like all roads lead to Rome, but all roads leave away from Rome too. So you can see when Paul's like in the heart of Rome, how the gospel can just go out because all roads lead to Rome, but all roads go out from Rome as well. But there's a welcoming party there. There's an interesting word there. You've probably heard this word before. I remember the first time I heard this was when Pastor Gary was preaching a long time ago. The word parakletos. Well, this word comes from that. paracleo, which means to call alongside. So it's used for giving help or aid. God knows what we need at the right time. Isn't? Have you ever found this to be true? There's sort of like an instant bond, it seems like, when... Let's say, I know when we went to Mexico and we didn't know the people that were there and all of a sudden we stood talking and they're Christian brothers and sisters and there's like an an instant, you know, connection. And sometimes like when I haven't seen a friend for a while, you know, that's a Christian brother and we get together, it's just like we haven't been away from each other. There's like a special bond. And you can see that there was like a refreshing that was, a refreshment that was happening between um, Paul and the brothers that came to meet him and he gets to Rome and, and he's been expending himself so much um, during that time. It made me wonder too, if you, if you think how, sometimes I used to read the Bible like, okay, I'm just going to read Acts, but I don't see how it connects here. And I read this part right here and it says, when he, the, um, Paul, was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. You ever wonder about that soldier that guarded him? and how they switched around. Do you remember? Like, it made me think. I remember Paul talking about in one of the prison epistles. Do you remember? One of the prison epistles. In First in Philippians 1, remember, it says this. Do you remember who the Praetorian Guard is? Those are sort of the royal guards, right? The Praetorian Guards. But here's what it says here. In chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Now, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really advanced to serve the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I mean, he's talking about Jesus to the person that's chained to him. The whole praetorian guard knows about Jesus because I'm telling about it. George Whitfield said this, God forbid that I should travel with anyone a quarter of an hour without speaking of Christ to them. I've been thinking about that and been really convicted. Like how often do I speak about Christ to be an instrument of God's peace? Because the greatest thing that you could ever give somebody is the gospel. Because when you give them the gospel, you give them a chance to experience the life to know God and to know peace. God has promised Paul that he would go to Rome. There was not going to be anything that was going to stop him. Not rough waters, not poisonous stakes, nor soldiers who wanted to kill him, remember when they were on the boat. Our lives are in God's hands, and God still had work for Paul to do and for Paul to accomplish. Paul was clay in the master's hands. There is, much, there is much for him to do, and there's much more for us to do, too. We need to ask. We need to seek. We need to knock. We need to seek first the kingdom of heaven. We need to be abiding in him, for apart from Christ, it says, we can do nothing. Paul had been through spiritual battles, and he had the scars to prove it. He was not the same man as he was in Acts 8 and 9. He was an instrument of God's peace and answered the prayer and answered prayer in the lives that he touched. So here is an application, I think of this. How do we grow in knowing God's peace? How do we grow in knowing God's peace? That's who we want, because we want to be instruments of peace in this world. I think first it's this we recognize that adversity will come. It's just a matter when. There will be adversity in your life. It's just a matter when. But just recognize that. Second, resolve to always walk daily in God's presence and His power. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Three, remember that we do not go through the trials alone, but God is the faithful one. Four, we profit when we face trials with a Christ-like attitude. He teaches us. Five, don't long for adversity because it's going to come, but difficulties bring about maturity to help other people. Six, God shows us that instead of complaining about trials, we should see them as opportunities for God's Growth for, for us to grow, for God to work in us. So opportunities for growth. Seven, this is hard sometimes, but I think it's important. I think we praise God that he will be with us during the trials and instructs us. It's important to praise God and to thank him that he's showing us that we can, as Jordan was sharing earlier, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Whatever you're going through, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's why when you physically exert, you get weaker, but when you spiritually exert in reliance on God, you get stronger. Eight. I think you continually pray for His strength and wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit to face challenges. Prayer is, is, is... If so important, why does it speak about it so much? Why is almost a whole chapter devoted to it in the book of Ephesians chapter six about being spiritually prepared for attacks that come? So be be praying a lot. And I think this is a really important one as well. You cling to God's promises. You cling to God's promises and you rejoice. on. Now God will use you to answer To be an answer of prayer for someone else and be an instrument of peace. There's trouble in this world. But remember what Jesus said. I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. It's in him. That's how we found peace. Thanks for praying for me today. I decided to, I thank you for your... (laughs) Your grace as well because I decided, you know, I'm not going to read the manuscript today. I think I'm just going to try a different route. And in some parts I read and some parts I didn't. I just wanted to um, try it this way. So, thank you. I didn't know if the sermon was going to go 20 minutes or an hour. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you, God, that we We can have peace because you are the God of peace. That Jerusalem itself, Shalom Jerusalem, is the city of peace, and that Jesus, it says, is the Prince of peace, and that it says that um, we can find our peace in you, Lord. I pray that we would be instruments of of peace in this world, the scared world. Help us to be like Paul to stand on a rock and be whatever the wind blows, that we can be strong and we can have peace. Help us to be like running into that mighty fortress, knowing that you're our fortress, you're our refuge and strength. Help us to claim the promises in the Bible. Lord, because we know that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We have assurance, we know, and the conviction of not things not seen. And we know that with faith, all things are possible. And we just trust in you. We rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.